0: Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, first off, uh, I think he introduced himself. I didn't even introduce him to the first service. So this is Seth. It's an awesome, awesome friend of ours. Him and Mackenzie and their new baby, sweet baby Rose, um, is here uh, just to help out. Patrick's out of town today. And so if you've been here a while, you've seen Seth before. We've had him two or three times before. Um, he's our go to, just helper, because he's awesome. And uh, we're so thankful for him for leading worship. But that was Bob and Bonnie J. And I think they're just as awesome. Uh, I love Bob and Bonnie. Kenny and I got to sit down with them this week and record that video. And they're one of our Safer at Home uh, church members who just feel like at this time they're not quite ready to come back. But we're so thankful uh, that they were able to participate. And I just hate it took me a year to come up with that idea. But um, it's so good to see some of you back for the first time today and so many of you that may be guests. Hey, if this is your first time worshiping with us here at East, we are pumped that you are here. We pray that you feel welcome. That's one of, the th- one of our goals here is that you feel welcome here at our church. And so uh, we actually have a gift that we want to give you today. Um, it's a Lindsay Lane East t-shirt and just some information about our church. Um, if you will, fill out the card in the back of the seat in front of you with this, any information that you feel comfortable with. Give us a name and a way to contact you is enough. Run it by next steps on your way out. We will give you uh, your very own Lindsay Lenny's T-shirt. You can wrap it on the way to lunch. Uh, we would love to give you that today. Uh, and it ain't one of these little cheap shirts, all right? We went all out. Um, we get we, It's, a, it's a, a nice one, okay? It's a good shirt. All right. Um, sometimes I say things and not expecting laughter, and then you give it to me, and I'm like, what did I say? All right. Um, <laughs> So, but just make sure that you take the first-time guest gift and drop that by Next Steps to somebody who's wearing a uh, badge. So the last two weeks, we've been walking through the book, uh, or Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And then we've seen some, uh, we've seen some really cool stuff over the last couple of weeks uh, in the series called Better Than Good. We know that God is good. we just saying it. God is good. But oftentimes we misunderstand what the word good means because pizza is good, right? Maps are good. But God is good in a way that you and I don't understand and so we looked at Genesis uh, Genesis Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 and in there we see heavenly beings flying around uh, the throne of God calling out holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and uh, we we talked about the very first week that holy means total this means set apart and for them to say it three times means really 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 set apart totally unique and different perfectly holy and so in a way that we can't even grasp and so we we, really what we've seen the last two weeks is that when we experience the presence of god first off we should be drawn to worship right the seraphim that were around the throne uh, the heavenly beings they understood the holiness of god and what did they do they worshiped so we need to worship god we need to we need to recognize his holiness but also what we saw in isaiah is that he was humbled Right, Like he recognized the holiness of God and he was reminded of his own sinfulness. He didn't point a finger at the world around him. He didn't point a finger at Facebook or politics or whatever. He pointed a finger first at his own heart and said, I am ruined and a sinner in need of something. And what we saw last week is that God gave him that thing and he atoned for his sins by touching his lip with coal. And, uh, and it was really, really awesome. And I promise you we're not passing coal around today um we have a, a savior that that brings atonement for us that we're going to talk about um but in the same way you and i must pursue god's presence uh, with worship and with humility today we're going to see the third response to god's holiness um and that is just radical obedience and uh but we're going to see that in a different way that maybe you're expecting so bob and bonnie have already read the scripture so i'm going to pray and then we're going to dive off into this sucker okay let's pray father we thank you god that Uh, that you have not left us apart from your word, Uh, God, that you didn't leave us just to try to figure life out, but God, you gave us your word through the prophets and the apostles, and then God, you gave us Jesus himself who walked it and talked it and lived it, God, right before humanity so that we have a model, we we have a, a description of what it looks like to please you and who you are, but God, we also have Jesus who's the perfect example for us in our lifestyle and uh and in our worship and so father god i pray that today as we call on you um god we ask you as we always do to teach us to know you but also god to be with us today and uh i gotta pray over this service god i pray that you would help us to uh to dive off into deeper understanding of who you are in jesus name amen all right water break all right isaiah 6 should be viewed and it is viewed by most, most scholars that are a lot smarter than me, we should view this as Isaiah's call to ministry, call to being a prophet. Okay? So the first thing, the first note, if you're a note taker, Isaiah's call is the first thing we're going to look at. What we don't know is how many times God had already begun to speak and work in Isaiah's life to get him to the point of being a prophet and, for, and to listen to the Holy Spirit. We don't know how many times that's happened. Well, we know that in this moment he leaves no doubt. Right? Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but my salvation experience. I trusted Jesus early in my life, and I praise God for that. But I know some of y'all, your story is much different from that. And more than likely, uh, you're, if the longer you waited, the more intense sometimes God's interaction with you felt. So I can only imagine that Isaiah must have said no a few times. He must have ignored the call of God a few times. But Isaiah, in this situation, Isaiah chapter 6, we see that God leaves no doubt. We've talked about for two weeks now that Isaiah is totally overwhelmed in the presence of God. He says, I'm ruined, I'm undone, I ought not be here. That's the redneck version of that. I ought not be here, okay? But what we, what we haven't talked about And this seems, even in my notes, it looks dumb to look at. But I'm like, who was the one who orchestrated this vision? Scott, right? We know that. It wasn't bad Mexican. Like, this was was a vision that came from God. This came from God. So God wanted to present Isaiah with a situation in which he felt overwhelmed. Okay? (laughs) The Mexican question got you, didn't it, DJ? Sorry, man. (laughs) sorry 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 okay all right all right so so god wanted to present isaiah with a situation in which he felt overwhelmed so that when god asked the question who will i send who will go for us that isaiah knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that he was the guy that god was calling because what's interesting is as we're going to see here in a second god oftentimes calls and he uses names right like he calls out their name he doesn't call out their name here but what we shouldn't take away is that God's it really in heaven going, uh, who are we going to send? Like we ought to make a list, pros and cons. Like who, who is it that best fits the. But we're not to take that. This isn't a rhetorical question. God's not really looking around going, seriously, though, who should we send? Who's going to go for us? God has presented Isaiah with such a situation that we are to read, who will I send? Who will go for us? as God cutting his eyes at Isaiah. You see what I'm saying? Who will uh, send? Right? He's cutting his eyes. Who's going to go for us? He's cutting his eyes at Isaiah. He presented Isaiah with a moment, a clear opportunity for Isaiah to step into a greater adventure than he could ever find on his own. Would the life of a prophet be easy? Man no. Isaiah's ministry is very, very difficult. We're going to read about that here in a second. But living out the calling of God is such an incredibly satisfying thing on a soul-spirit level. And listen, it's the same today, right? I know that God has called me, equipped me to serve him in ministry in the local church. Does that mean it's easy? No, sometimes y'all are mean (laughs) to me and other people. (laughs) Sometimes things don't go. Sometimes I, I have plans and they just don't work well. And then it makes you question whether I know what I'm doing. I don't, by the way. Right, like all of this pastoral ministry, I know it's what God's called me to do, but it's not necessarily easy. Sometimes I fall flat on my face, but even, listen, even in the worst times of 13 years of ministry in the church, God has proven himself faithful over and over and over again to me and my family. But here's what you need to know. I know you're sitting there and you thinking, okay, God called Isaiah to be a prophet and you're talking about how he called you to preach. God did not called me to nothing. I don't know how this applies to me. Well, here's what you need to know about me. My primary calling is not as a pastor. You know that, right? God made me a dad. And that's an awesome responsibility. But my primary responsibility, my primary calling is not as a dad because God also made me a husband. First, he made me a husband before he made me a dad. And God called me to love that woman in the back, back there with my whole heart and to lead her and to lead her to Christ grow that's not my greatest calling more than pastoring more than dad more than husbandhood God called me to be a minister of reconciliation and that's just a believer so if you're in here today and you've trusted in Jesus Christ guess what God has called you to ministry you don't get a pass we're not going to pay you a dime but we want you to serve (laughs) that was awkward um (laughs) But God has called all of us to be ministers. I want to show you, 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. Paul says this, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation to us, given us, all of us. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us, all of us, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What does that mean? It means that every single believer is not that different than a preacher and not that different than a prophet. You see, a a preacher opens up God's word and explains it to y'all. A prophet took the, uh, uh, listened to the Spirit of God and spoke the Word of God. You guys and me as believers, we get to take the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and speak it into people. It's really not that different than what God has been calling men and women to do throughout the ages as prophets. It is the calling of every Christian to be a reconciler, a, a minister of reconciliation, and we have one message. It's our job to plead on behalf of Christ to others. He says it there, be reconciled to God. Please, like to plead with people, be reconciled to God. When we are in this calling, just like Isaiah, we will experience an adventure greater than anything you and I can find on our own. Though God didn't call Isaiah by name, it is obvious from the passage that God was calling Isaiah to live a new lifestyle, to live a new way as a prophet. And my question to you, are you being obedient to what God has already called you to do? Or are you waiting on something? Are you waiting on something else? God tell me what you may do. God has already called you Be obedient. When Isaiah hears the call of God, he actually responds, which is always a good thing. It's the second thing we see, Isaiah's response. So God asks this leading question, who will I send, who will go for us, cutting his eyes at Isaiah. And Isaiah responds in a way that seems kind of formal and not very eye-catchy, okay? Um, It depends on your Bible translation. It either says, here I am or here here am I, okay? Um, But it's, it's very... Like, I don't call to my child and say, Elsie Joe, And she says, here I am, Father. That's weird, right? Like, she doesn't do that. And, and it's, it sounds, but listen to this. It can be easy to see it and go, what, what is the deal with that? But if we look at those words through the lens of the whole Bible, what we find is that those words are used an awful lot in the Bible. Here I am or here am I. But they're only used six times by humans speaking to God. Six times. And what I found is I started studying through those. I, I, I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. I, found, I, I thought about that. And I, so I started studying the Bible and I thought, is this going to be anything worth bringing? And I laid out all six of those moments. And what I found is that some of the heaviest moments in the Bible, some of the most earth-shattering, uh, history-altering moments in the Bible occur when a person says, here I am. I want to show them to you today. Okay, we're going to move through the whole Bible, so glad you came. Genesis 22 is the first one. Um, before Genesis 22, God uh, called a man named Abraham uh, to leave his family and to go to a land of promise. He was going to make him a big family, give him a, a piece of property uh, that his family was going to grow on, and he was going to use him to be a special blessing to all the nations. And he makes a special... Uh, he, he, the problem is he ain't got no kids. He's old at this point. And he doesn't have any children. And so, uh, but it, God promises you're going to bear a child. You with your wife. You're both old, but you will bear a child. And though though there are a few moments of lacking faith and doing some goofy things, God fulfills this. And they finally conceive and they have a son and they call his name Isaac, which means laughter. Because if you were a 100 and had a baby, you'd laugh too or cry. Because they had waited 25 years to have this baby. 25 years to have this baby of promise. God had told them, you're going to have a big family. And from your family, I'm going to bless all the nations. So their one child is finally born. And then we read this in Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take note of that. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love go to the land of moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains i will tell you about like i don't know hebrew like i can't speak it but like there's nothing hidden in the hebrew there he wanted him to offer his son as a burnt offering the son that god had promised him so long ago the son that was going to that was going to, to from this Son was going to be the blessing of all nations. We know that from this Son was going to be Jesus. We know that with the New Testament look. That it's this family that God was going to bring this the incredible blessing of forgiveness of sins and, and salvation to all nations. But here, God says, end the line. Stop it right here, before it ever gets rolling. Stop. This lineage that's going to lead to Jesus. So Abraham did what any good dad would do. He got up early in the morning. Saddled his donkey. Took with him two of his young men. And his son Isaac. And he took split wood for a burnt offering. And set out to go to the place God had told him about. Aside from how in the world... That he wake up and do that? I don't know what the night looked like. But what we know is that when Abraham said, Here I am, he meant it. God didn't tell him what he was going to do yet, but he said, I'm here. And he was obedient even to something crazy like this. If you aren't familiar with the story, don't panic. He doesn't die. Okay, Before Abraham... Uh, Abraham's willing it seems like he's willing to go through with it but God doesn't let him he stops him at the last second and the line that's leading to Jesus is now safe in this young this young kid named Isaac the second time we see the words here I am is with Isaac's son later named Jacob Jacob is a sorry dude you know what i mean by the word skeevy okay he's a skeevy little guy just a strange little skeever schemer all that stuff jacob was not a good dude and if you think i'm lying read the account sneaky little guy but it's through his family that god wants to continue to bless he winds up marrying two of his uncle's daughters so not his sisters his uncle's daughters which is right in the sweet spot right right in the sweet spot not too distant not too close right in the sweet spot (laughs) Uh, but he married two of them which was definitely not a good thing Um, he stays with their family for a while but as a means listen this as a means to get back to the land of promise God speaks to Jacob in a dream he speaks to him in a dream and then Jacob is retelling the dream later Uh, Genesis 31 verse 11 in that dream Jacob says the angel of God said to me Jacob and I said here I am This dream provides Jacob with a plan that's going to actually help him get enough livestock so that he can lead his family back home and do well in Canaan. And so, again, preserving the line that's going to lead to Jesus. If Jacob and his daughters, uh, Jacob's father-in-law is starting to get upset with him and he very well could have killed him and ended the line, but Jacob, God provides a way. Jacob said, here I am. The next time we see this phrase is when some shepherd named Moses is hanging out on a mountainside. Um, this is Exodus verse, chapter 3. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the other side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God, which later gets renamed Mount Sinai. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, But it did not consume. So Moses thought, I should go check that out. Why isn't the bush burning up? He's inquisitive. Call up. I skipped one, sorry. "Uh, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And what did Moses say? Here I am. It's here on this mountain that Moses would later come and receive the law of God on Mount Sinai. But here God is calling Moses to go back to Egypt where his life is on the line. He's already a wanted man. Go back to Egypt and lead my people who were enslaved there back to the land that I promised so many years ago. This here I am is a big moment again in the people of Israel. It sets up the exodus that opens the door for this new way of life for the Israelites. The next time we see it is with Samuel. Samuel was a small boy living with Eli, who was a priest of God. Uh, Samuel was laying in bed one night, verse uh, chapter three, verse four. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, "Here I am." We find out right after this, Samuel actually thought it was uh, Eli calling for him. Right? He's a young boy, laying in bed, and he heard a voice. You wouldn't think it was God first either, probably. And so he does. It, he, God actually calls him three more times. And he responds very similarly. But he said to God, here I am. Though we don't see Samuel doing anything much as a child, what we find out is he doesn't grow up to be a priest. He grows up to be a judge over all the people of Israel. He's the last judge. And what he does is he anoints the head of a young shepherd boy named David. And David would become the prototype for all the kings going forward. And he would become the forerunner for Jesus Christ himself. The great, 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 great grandpappy of Jesus. Story-wise, this is where Isaiah's call and response fits, but it's not the last one. In the New Testament, we also see the words one time, and it's with Ananias. Anybody know this cat? Okay. He's a seemingly forgotten name, but his calling was vital to the existence of the people of God. So let me tell you the story. There was an up-and-coming Jewish religious leader named Saul. And Saul saw the... Saul saw... the, the church of Jesus Christ as a threat to the Jewish world. And so he saw fit to stamp it out. He literally had in his hand a letter from the Romans that he could take into his, uh, he could arrest anybody he thought was a Christian. And he's on his way. He's, already, he, he's, he's going to Damascus to a place where he hears there's a big group at Jason's house. There's a big group of people there in Damascus and he's on his way there. And he takes the, he, he, he's got it. And, but then, this is after Jesus had already resurrected. And then Jesus uh, intervenes. While they're walking on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Saul and blinds him with a bright light. And as he speaks to him, uh, Saul can't see a thing. But Jesus tells him, go, keep going on to the city, go into Damascus, and then I'll tell you what you're supposed to do next. And so this great man, this powerful man who's going to arrest people is now being led by the hand into the city, helpless and broken because he's just met the Savior that he's been persecuting. While they're walking that way, Jesus uh, uh, and the and the Father begin to speak to the next person in line, uh, the next person in the plan, and it was a man named Ananias. Acts chapter 9 verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, what do you think he said? Here I am, Lord. God tells Ananias to go into Damascus to lay hands on this brutal man named Saul so that he will see again. In that conversation, God makes sure that Ananias knows the role that Saul is going to play. He's going to be a huge piece for the ministry going forward. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Saul was a chosen instrument of God who would, with his missions team, church, take the gospel to the furthest reaches of the world. Now, Ananias may not be moaned for much, But he's the guy who led him to Christ. He's the guy that laid hands on him and he could see he's the one that baptized him. I don't know what else Ananias did with his life. But what we know is that in this moment, his yes was on the table and it seemed small, but he was obedient. Every single one of these men were called by God and they all responded, here I am. When God called, they moved, they acted in a way that he called them to, often saying yes before they ever knew what the task was. That's a rule. Don't ever say yes before you know what they're asking. You ever taken a job that didn't have a job description? I did. (laughs) Look where it got me. Right? But their yes is on the table. They had no idea. Isaiah did the same thing. He said, here I am, send me. He didn't say, here I am, give me some more details. <laughs> here I am, let's talk about it. Here I am, draw me a diagram. Show me a map. It was, here I am, send me. The question that I thought about was, why in the world would you do that? Why in the world would you would you step into this? And um, But it seems obvious when you look at it. Isaiah has a vision of the presence of... Of God, And he experiences the holiness of God. And in that holiness, he's drawn to recognize his own sinfulness. And he's unclean and unworthy to stand before God. But God does not leave him in his sin. He makes atonement for his sin. The very thing he couldn't do on his own, God did for him. In that moment, <laughs> what could Isaiah not give? Do you see it? He's in the presence of God. God does the very thing that he can never do on his own. There's nothing left that Isaiah can't give. Whatever God asks, Isaiah must give it at that moment. My comment that I want to make is when God begins to stir in your heart to take a next step of obedience, how is it that we can find the gumption to say no? But we're good at it but I think it's because we're not spending time in the presence of God. We're not spending time in the holiness and recognizing our own brokenness and, and feeling the weight of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life. Having been washed clean of all the sin that I could that I could never rid myself of, how could I tell God no? There's a pastor in North Carolina that always says this, we must have our yes on the table and then let God put it on the map. I love that. want That's what life I want to leave lead we should be willing no matter the task but the task is important to look at let's look at isaiah's task and if you talk to anybody that was here in the first service will you let them know what number three was because i never said it <laughs> okay isaiah's task isaiah was tasked with a tough ministry god says go preach to the people who will not listen show the people who ain't gonna see that's a tough crowd i was in youth ministry Three and a half years i i, I y'all i preached it th- i've preached it like 3 a.m at a lock-in okay they ain't listening they're sleeping that's what they're doing okay and so that's what i said that was the ministry isaiah got was hey go speak to people who aren't going to listen to you but isaiah does it he moves on it he's obedient isaiah's ministry was anything but sexy it was routine it was oftentimes mundane oftentimes totally unfruitful but it wasn't up to isaiah to decide what he got to do for god right he didn't get to decide on the role he simply said yes he simply said yes Elsie joe's playing 8u softball this year you know about 8u softball It's tough. It's better than six years softball. Can still be tough. Um, this is Elsie Joe's second year if you count last year, which was kind of a weird year. Uh, this is her second year to play and she's getting so much better across the board, but in all honesty, she's not ready for the infield. She wants to be shortstop, and I don't know why. Or why she got shortstop in her mind, but she wants to be shortstop. And so much of that's what she was talking about all the time. Shortstop, shortstop, shortstop. I said, Baby, you're not shortstop. Maybe one day. Right now you're left center. And if you're trying to play shortstop at left center, you're not going to do it. What you need to do is be the best left center. And then, maybe, we can play shortstop one day. You see, you and I, we need to listen. Elsie Joe needs to say, we need to hear the same thing Elsie Joe did. Listen to coach, right? Your job is to play where you're most needed. You're part of a team. This is not an individual calling that we have. It's a corporate calling to do this together. Focus on being a good outfielder. That's where you are now. That's what's right in front of you. Do that good job. If you don't do a good job at that, why in the world would the coach ever trust, with you some- trust you with something you view as greater? That's what God hit me with this week. If Isaiah wasn't willing to preach to people that wouldn't even listen, why would God allow him a, 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 a section in our Bible? And I know that's a hokey analogy. But it's absolutely true. So many people I've encountered in ministry want to do the biggest things in the world for God. And I get it. I do too, y'all. I dream of our church. I have dreams of our church doing, seeing God do crazy things here, reaching hundreds of people. I can see four or five or ten years down the road, and I like to think that big things are in store, but at the end of the day, Our focus must be here, right? Here and now. What are we doing with the influence God has given us now? My question to you, what are you doing with the influence that God has given you now? Or are you just waiting for something else? We need to focus first our attention here and now. Isaiah is not the only example I can give here. Think back to Ananias. Now I'd ask this and some of y'all would lie. But I know for the truth, some of y'all had never heard Ananias before I told you that story. am I going to ask for hands. I know it. Because that's the only time we see him. We see another Ananias, but that ain't the same guy. But Ananias wasn't sent by God to travel the known world and plant church after church after church. He was sent down the road to proclaim the gospel to a guy who couldn't see. But that guy was called by God to travel the known world and plant church after church after church. Ananias, here, we see him focusing on the small things. And letting God accomplish the big on His time. Shortly after the time of Isaiah, God's people begin returning back home uh, to Canaan and uh, uh, returning back to their homeland. They begin to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem, and they begin to rebuild the temple that was destroyed when they were overrun years earlier. And y'all, imagine the temple was anything but impressive. Okay, the temple was anything but impressive. Solomon, the t- temple was originally built in Solomon's day. Where like they had gold and silver and, and they floated cedars from Lebanon down the, not like down the river. <laughs> like they had just all, all the, all the uh, uh, lumber was a lot more expensive. You know what I mean? Like they just had all kind of money to just take care of stuff. But then here they're coming back from being in exile and they're coming back and they don't have anything. So it looks more like a a heap of rocks in comparison to the glory of Solomon's temple. And Zechariah, the prophet, tells us that the old men who remembered the beauty uh, of the temple, of the old temple, they literally wept when they saw the new one. But it says that the young rejoiced when they saw the beauty of what was built. It's into this situation that God says through Zechariah in chapter 4, verse 9. Zerubbabel's hands, that's the the, the leader. Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. Listen to this question. For who despises the day of small things? Man, that word. That question right there rings, true, rings so true in my ears. Who despises the day of small things? Because let me tell you, church, 99.9% of what we do for the Lord looks about this big to me and you and the world. Getting up tomorrow and having your devotion, is that a big thing or a small thing? Talking to your neighbor tomorrow who's out walking, just saying hey and being friendly, is that a small thing or a big thing? Right? There's 99.9% of what we do for the Lord is small stuff, and it can seem mundane and boring. And you may long to do the great things that you have always dreamed of, but we need to see that there is beauty in the small things. And we need to rejoice in the small things. Y'all, I praise God that Isaiah was so stubborn that he kept preaching and preaching and preaching, even though nobody wanted to listen. I'm thankful that Isaiah wasn't dreaming of the far reaches of the world and ignored the man right across the street. I am thankful and I rejoice that Ananias led Saul to the Lord who would change the world as we know it. My wife found a commentary for these verses in Zechariah a while back. She sent them to me a while back. But last night, we were or yesterday, we were riding around yesterday and she reminded me of that, so I added it here. And some of it's going to be on the screen, but honestly, I'm fixing to read like three paragraphs. Okay? But it's written so beautiful, like I just, I'd butcher it if I tried to write it myself. This is what the author said. Um, the author's name, I'll give it to you, Scott Hubbard, that wrote this article. If we are genuinely faithful in the day of small things, our small obedience will become big, but not usually right away and not often in the ways we expect. This big God is apparently patient enough to endure centuries of small days. His kingdom, which will one day cover the earth, does not begin big. It grows from an old geezer and his barren wife. It grows from the fewest of all peoples, which was a term used of Israel. It grows from a mustard seed and a bit of leaven in Jesus' teaching. It grows from an embryo in the womb of a virgin. And it grows from 12 uneducated men. What will it mean for us to worship a God who works like this? It will mean praying for the big, longing for the big, working for the big, and all the while faithfully and contentedly devoting ourselves to the small. He says, pray for revival and then prepare breakfast for your kids. Dream of the knowledge of God's glory flooding the whole earth and then bring a taste of that glory to the neighbor next door preach a grand vision to dozens or hundreds on a Sunday and then sit and listen to the wounded one on Monday the day of big things is coming until then do not neglect the day of small things church may I remind you now that you and I are called to a particular task today and that is to be ministers of reconciliation Called to speak to those who are far from God and lead them as best we can to repent of their sin. But most of the things, y'all, most of what that looks like is not noteworthy. And you wouldn't share it in your testimony if we gave you a chance. (laughs) Because it seems about this big. It's just faithfully taking one step after another. One step after another. focusing on the small that's right in front of us all the while praying for something big. I want to call on you today uh, for us as a church to do this very thing. I've actually written a prayer for us to pray together out loud. Nobody walked out? So I assume that means you're going to participate. Okay? Before we sing this last song together, uh, I'm asking you just to pray this prayer in creepy unison with me. Um, it'll be on the screens, okay? And I know you haven't read it yet, but pray it. And then at the end, if, if you agree with me, then you can say the last line with me as we amen it. Here it is. God, do something big through us. Y'all saying it with me now, right? Let's start it God, do something big through us. Make our baptistry wear out from overuse. Overwhelm us with guests who need to hear the gospel. Call up pastors and missionaries from our midst. Send us out to plant churches in desperate places. Use us directly to reach the unreached of the nations. Yet all the while, help us to focus on our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, and our families. May we not neglect those closest to us while we wait for you to do the big through us fix our eyes on our daily devotion to you above all else we need your presence we need your power and we need your patience in the name of jesus i pray amen church i don't know how god may have used this message today but as always we want to give you an opportunity to respond I'm going to be down front or on the front row. I'm going to be up here somewhere. Um, if you'd like to talk with me about a next step, one of those faithful next steps that God's called you to today, we're here to talk you, help you through that, whether that's salvation. The atonement that, that, that Isaiah experienced with a coal on his lips is nothing in comparison to the forgiveness of sins that God offers through Jesus. We would love to talk with you about that. If you've never followed God in baptism, followed Jesus in baptism, been faithful to that, we would love to help you take that next step. All we got to do is fill it up. If you'd like to join this church, we've got two families right now over in Building B that are ready to take the step of putting arm in arm and joining this church family. We're pumped about that. You may just need to come to the altar and lift up a prayer for yourself or for someone else. As always, we're going to have decision counselors by the back door. If you'd like to go backward instead of forward, they'll lead you out to a room where they can talk with you and answer any questions you have. But, church, sometimes I preach with y'all in mind, and sometimes I preach with me in mind. today let's pray and then you can respond however god leads father i pray god as you have done so many times throughout human history god you've used broken vessels uh, to do incredible things. And God so often our heart and our mind, God can be so focused on doing big things, seeing you do incredible, awesome things and, and getting to see our name next to it or our church's name or whatever it is God, for everybody in this room. But God, I'm thankful for the reminder that you're much more a God of small things than you are big things. Because God, what you need us to be is worshipful, humble, and radically obedient. And we come to you that way, God. We just might get to see you do something big on your time. Father, I pray for us as a church, God, and I pray for the pastor of this church, God, more than any. God, that you'd help us all to focus on our, our just day-to-day. God, putting one foot in front of the other. God, taking the next step, the next step, the next step. No matter how unsexy it feels, how mundane it feels. God, help us today to be obedient to what we've read, what we've seen in your word. God, use us in the small. And God, we ask you sometime in the future, God, to use us in the big. We love you, God, and we thank you for what you've done in us and through us. God, be with this time of response and help us all to be obedient to what you've laid on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.